Welcome to the Mentis Podcast. Today we have Brooks Healy, who's a founding partner of Harborstone Advisors. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so you have a ton of experience in the Maryland markets and uh, have been have been in the multifamily game for a long time. Uh, can you can you give us an idea what we should expect? Uh, you know, kind of coming out of uh, inflation and, and these higher interest rates. When do you think we're going to see it kind of a pivot? Uh, maybe with the Fed coming down later this year or, or just stabilizing, like what, what should we expect coming into the second half of 2023? Yeah, it's certainly been a pretty interesting last couple of years with the, the macroeconomical environment and rising interest rates more recently and, and kind of what that has done with deal flow. Um, you know, with our experience in the multifamily market, we had a pretty big skid in the, the start of the fourth quarter of last year, things have, have started to pick back up because rates have ticked back down a bit. But my anticipation is that we'll see deal volume kind of pick up here towards the middle of this year, uh, certainly into the end of 2023 into 2024. But um, good news is deals are still transacting. Uh, we are seeing more sellers kind of meet the market and have the understanding that rates do have a major impact on pricing. Um, but yeah, my expectation would be that these rates will, will start to cool a little bit, they'll stabilize and uh, hopefully come down slightly, which will get some of this money off the sidelines, which has been patiently waiting. So you, you're thinking or you're seeing that sellers are starting to have a little bit more of a, an exhale, you know, kind of a, a moment. They're like, all right, well, I'm going to have to sell it at a lower Lower cap rate, uh, excuse me, well, higher cap rate. Higher cap rate. Yeah, than uh, expected, but lower pricing uh, than what they might have been able to get a year ago. Is that is, is that where you're seeing the, the major difference? Or are you seeing, um, you know, people just willing to underwrite a little bit tighter? Like, what is making these things it's, move forward? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I mean, general pricing expectations, or I'm sure, I'm sorry, pricing as a whole has kind of come down 10 to 15% from where it was about a year ago. Um, I mean, there were a couple instances that we saw specifically in October, November of, of 2022, where, you know, sellers had a pretty steep pricing expectation and we're getting debt quotes that have just gone up dramatically over a, a course of a few weeks where, um, you know, they wanted to get a deal done, but they were going to have to give something up. So um, we did see some of those, those deals actually transact with some significant uh, pricing decreases. Um, you know, new deals that we brought to market in the fourth quarter beginning of this year, we've had some pretty frank conversations with sellers that they're not going to get the pricing that they did a year ago. Um, and most have been understanding of that because, you know, you, you're seeing more and more of how rates and inflation have impacted things. Um, certainly, there were some high dollar sales um, in the beginning of last year and obviously in the end of 2021. But I think that time is coming gone. We'll, we will see as rents have, you know, increased quite a bit than, than pricing has. But uh, rents have began to cool and um, obviously rates have, have gone up quite a bit from where they were a year ago. So folks have been a little more understanding than that on that piece, which has allowed these transactions to continue to move forward, um, although they may have not been at the original expectation when they put them on the market. You know, I've heard some, you know, I actually heard that a lot recently, that, that people are saying that rents have cooled on the, you know, the annual increases, which I, to me, it always... It, it that it's an interesting point because 
in a lot of the deals that we're underwriting, we're not really underwriting gangbuster rent growth. And I, a lot of the folks I know aren't either. And I don't think the banks mm-hmm. are allowing them. So that doesn't seem like it would impact a deal getting done. I mean, it's kind of just like, that's the upside. Are you saying that maybe a lot of the people who were buying this stuff were uh, potentially, you know, counting on five, 6% or, you know, like that, that seems extremely aggressive on the underwriting side. Some were, especially when a lot of these, um, you know, rent moratoriums were, were coming up and there was a, a, such a lag in rents in the market where you couldn't raise it once kind of COVID onset. And then they began to ease and you got to see these major increases in the rent, to, you know, above the typical three to 5%. So and for clarification, um, you're saying not a rent, there's no renovations going, no value add being in, like no value improvement to that apartment, just simply just one year to the next 20% increase in the, in the core markets that that we operate in where people weren't able to, you know, raise rents for 18 months. You did see some of those in in properties that, you know, they didn't have to spend a lot of CapEx dollars to achieve those rents. Um, So that happened very quickly. And you saw some sellers try to take advantage of that by achieving these higher rents, which thus would allow them to, you know, hopefully sell their building for more. now we're seeing that rent growth obviously kind of slow down a bit where it's not north of 5%. It's, you know, your typical 3% or so annually, um, which now is again, imp- back to impacting the pricing. So you're not seeing these huge bumps um, that you did in a short period of time that, you know, occurred a year, 18 months ago. I see you're making that, that full circle there for me. Um, yeah. You know, when, when I see it, a lot of sometimes, like sometimes sellers aren't actually achieving those higher rents before they sell it. And then people are underwriting, mm-hmm. thinking that they're going to get those higher rents. But what you're saying is that you are, I guess, as the seller's representative, had sellers who were achieving maybe, I don't know, 10% of the units at a much, much higher valuation. Yep. And the story was to the buyer, hey, this is going to be an this amazing deal for you. I got you. Yeah, there's there've been a couple of transactions we sold that, you know, they, they merely, they had a, I mean, historically we're raising rents annually, then things stopped and the market that they were in was a very good market and they didn't raise rents for two years. And then they, they put a couple CapEx dollars into a unit and were able to achieve, you know, five, six, $700 bumps um, for these kind of unique units. And they did it two or three times. And it was a powerful story to the buyer saying that, look, I can come in here without spending a ton of money and upon renewals, get a big bump in rent, which, you know, obviously helps push the price point a little bit. So we, we saw that happen quite a bit in the last, 12 months. Um, Moving forward, you know, you're not seeing as high rent growth in in most areas that you did just because there was that slowdown. So it's obviously stabilizing right now and and values are stabilizing. It's, it's again, down about 10% from what we saw with the rising now with the rising interest rates. But um, as a whole, there's still some of that uncertainty and there's certainly a lot of money on the sidelines um, just waiting for some uh, consistency in the market to, to jump back in. There does seem to be quite a bit of hesitancy uh, from a lot of groups, just a lot of pencils down, especially on the banking side, just kind of slower, uh, less bullish underwriting, um, mm-hmm. you know, talking to a lot of loan officers who are really, you know, eager to do some deals, but the, the bank is kind of, yeah, kind of holding back a little bit. 
Um, We've seen some lenders specifically on that kind of balance sheet side or, or small community banks who, you know, are coming to us and saying, look, there is no negotiation in some of these terms. Usually, depending who the borrower is, you could, you know, kind of work with that. But because of where the market is and some of the uncertainty, they've got to kind of stick to, to their form. Um, we saw this month Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae have, have announced some significant decreases in their interest rates for the month of February. Um, so that's getting some people excited for, for the deals between one and seven, eight million, um, which hopefully some people can take advantage of and, and get some of those dollars back into buying some of these mid-sized apartment deals. Certainly would nice, you know, be nice to see some volume pick back up, but yeah, everybody had uh, free money essentially for, for a long time. Never seen anything that's like true. this. Got to have the medicine on the other side and We'll certainly see the uh, the other side of this downturn as well. So, probably something that's you know not something that's brought up a ton, um, but I want to get your take on technology disruption. You know, the real estate market historically has not been like leading uh, the pack with technology disruption, and I think a lot of that has to come down to the fact that it's hard to scale. Uh, it, every every deal is different, so it's hard to scale like in a very replicatable way. Uh, certainly, you have your niche, at, you know, like certain asset classes, and you know, there's there's a lot of research companies out there now that are uh, providing a lot of good data that is certainly disrupting mm -hmm. the way we we're doing things to the you know to what was done in the past. But how do you see potential like artificial intelligence uh, impacting the real estate world at all? Are we going to go to a brokerless society? Are we going to, our loan officers not even going to be needed anymore because the, the bank can, you know, program a computer to get it all done. I, you know, I'm trying to figure out where does this early onset of chat BG, uh, GBT, you know, yeah. like kind of stuff, where does that take us five to 10 years from now? I mean, this is, you know, kind of just forecasting the future a little bit, but at the beginning of the internet, people would have never guessed some of the stuff that we're, we're, we're able to do now. And I'd just like to see if you had any uh, any thoughts or could weigh in on that conversation. Yeah, uh, Chat GPT has has gained a lot of traction, as as a lot of people have seen, and um, I I don't think we'll be in a brokerless society. I don't think we'll ever be in a loan officerless society. It's it's always going to take that human interaction specifically to get deals done. I think these artificial intelligence websites like ChatGPT or these apps that will be coming out are gonna be super beneficial, um, not only to brokers and lenders, but I think also to, to buyers, um, developers that uh, my understanding of it is how you can program it to fit your line of business. And the more information that you give it, it can you know make you certainly be um, much more efficient and hopefully successful. I, I think that in kind of in our, in the brokerage world, um, it, it's going to help out from a marketing standpoint. It's going to help out from an underwriting standpoint. Um, you know, since at least with our firm, we're so hyper-focused on multifamily, we can hopefully build some sort of tool through AI, which will help us, you know, with our underwriting quickly, um, with our marketing packages. Um, I think even from, you know, a title standpoint and other partners that are involved to get a transaction done, it could hopefully make things much more efficient. It can make things happen quicker um, from a transaction, uh, transactional side of it. But yeah, it's going to certainly be a disruption. I think it'll be a, a pretty good disruption. Um, but yeah, you seem positive. You're, you're, I, like, you see this I, I as am. like a walking, yeah, 
Yeah. I've been doing a lot of research to it and there's a lot of inefficiencies in, in the brokerage and transaction world. Um, you know, deals being delayed for certain things and there's so many different moving parts. So I think if there's anything that can help with efficiency in transactions and, and even from, you know, the, and just in the brokerage world, marketing speed to getting things to market, especially because the, the lending environment is changing very rapidly. Um, it, it'll help our customers out. Um, but yeah, who knows? I mean, this thing could morph into something that's very, very powerful. Um, I don't think from a job standpoint, it's going to do a ton to, to that. I think, uh, you know, folks that use um, virtual assistants and rely on things like that, that are not super hands-on, you know, it may hurt the virtual assistant world. Um, so that would be interesting because we utilize folks like that. But um, yeah, I, I think agree. It's, I, I agree that the brokerless society is not, it's not going to work. It's not on the horizon. Uh, no, it, it's the people behind the deals that make all of these things happen. I mean, yeah, yeah, there is the fundamentals that you have to hit in certain deal metrics, but the people uh, and the little moving parts and the nuances is what is what I think really makes. Yeah, I think it's real estate. Um, I think it's exciting. Um, I, I've I've started to do some research on it, and again, you're seeing more of more of it in the news and publications and people's takes on it. Um, I like to do things as efficiently as possible. I don't like delays. I like being on time. So I think it's a tool that, you know, could certainly help my business and, and all my clients for that matter. So I've looked at it in a little bit different light. I think I apply the AI technology to what it can do to the robotics industry and the robotics industry could potentially make construction uh, significantly more affordable which could bring a lot of new product online at a much lower cost. And this might not happen or might happen, but I've always thought if you dramatically decrease the cost of construction, one, whoever creates that robot will be the world's next multi-billionaire. <laughs> yes. Two, you will disrupt one of the largest uh, segments of our economy. And that's all of the debt and the valuations of all of the properties that are out there. Uh, I'm not sure that it'll happen, but I think there's two sides of it, at least from my initial uh, take on it is one, you could potentially build better buildings and the, the overall value could just go up overall and more people like, you know, 200 years ago, there wasn't air conditioning in a building, but maybe there's a new invention that comes with a robot uh, helping build something for cheaper. Uh, and then the other side is, I think that you might be able to, uh, you know, I don't know renovate existing properties a little bit uh, more efficiently and and then those properties will maintain their value so you could be negative or positive on it I, I guess it really just depends how you look at it but yeah. I, I've the way I was looking at AI you know I I, I kind of led you down the broker road because you know that's kind of the, the world you live in but I looked at it and I was like you know I, I don't know if it's going to affect the maybe the white collar folks that are involved in real estate as much as it will affect uh, the blue collar folks blue collar. who are sure. critical uh, right now. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, any thoughts on, on how it would impact maybe the construction industry? Yeah. I, I think that anytime you, you know, bring robots into play, it's going to, they're going to be more efficient than us as humans. So um, certainly it's going to be a massive learning curve. Again, you always are going to need, you know, eyes and ears and, and hands and feet on the ground for, for all these projects. Um, 
but the ultimate goal for a lot of this stuff is efficiency. So I don't know if it will have an immediate disruption in the construction world. The, the part in construction that I, I see that it, it could have probably a pretty big impact is project management. Um, you look at some of these articles on what this technology can do and it has a lot where people can, as long as you put in good information, it can plan everything out. It can, you know, maybe make your timelines and things either aggressive or a little bit more smooth. So um, I think operationally, it'll be an asset to the construction world immediately. Um, I, I don't think it's going to have an impact on employees quite yet, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, this thing could gain a lot of momentum and from what we're reading and understanding, it's, it's just going to continue to get smarter. Yeah, I don't think this is an immediate tomorrow, next year, mm -hmm. maybe even five years from now. But, you know, we all didn't have smartphones 15 years ago. Yeah, I and now, quick. Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff can can kind of, you know, gain traction quickly. All it takes is yeah. one, you know, one really, really pivotal invention uh, and, and we'll be. Yeah, the adoption rate of, of chat GPT is, is going to be quicker than probably anything we've seen. I, I saw some some stats about it versus, you know, how quickly it got to a million users versus YouTube, Netflix, um, you know, uh, iTunes, things like that, that really revolutionized the technology uh, technological world. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting ride. I think it's going to be a unique tool and um, certainly can update in a year. Maybe <laughs> we can circle back and see what's changed as this becomes you know, more widely available. That sounds like a great idea. Well, we have a new governor here in the state of Maryland, uh, Governor Wes Moore uh, yep. from Baltimore, and seems to have a lot of great energy. And uh, you know, I, regardless of the political affiliation, I always like to give our politicians the best chance and wish them well, because it, yep. it really you know, kind of does matter uh, for the trajectory of our state. Do you have any insight on potentially, uh, you know, where he and his team are going to be focusing? Uh, and is there any type of advisement to the to the folks who are looking to invest in uh, in Maryland and and new projects or or uh, you know, I guess new zones that are are targeted? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Larry Hogan did a great job in the overall business community in Maryland and, and really helped turn things around. Um, you know, Governor Moore does bring, as you mentioned, a ton of really good energy. I think he's got a great backstory. Um, I really hope, and, and he did make a lot of comments about having Baltimore be a major focus of his um, of his governorship. So getting Baltimore, which, which drives a lot of Maryland and we do a ton of business in Baltimore. So we, we hear it from folks from out of state folks locally, the taxes are super high in Baltimore. The crime is out of control. The schools are horrible. So I hope their, their biggest impact as you know, throughout his term is really hoping that he can work with city government, give the city, you know, the things they need to help turn, it around um, in regards to crime and schools and, you know, not penalizing property owners through these crazy high taxes that that are um, throughout the city. So that would be my hope. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping that he can make some, you know, actions here in a, you know, it's only been a month, but um, in a short period of time to help reduce crime and, and make the, the city, which is, is a great place to be, just a little bit cleaner and, and better. I remember, well, for one, I'm, I've been in 
in and out of Baltimore my entire life. And I grew up a Baltimore Orioles, you know, a diehard Baltimore Orioles fan watching Cal Ripken and, you know, watching yep. the Ravens and l- love the city and, and what it could be. Uh, but I remember the first time I was in a Southern city, like I remember Charlotte and driving around, I'm like, you know, the roads are really smooth here. And I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, the city can actually keep their streets clean and they can keep them smooth. And like, I, it just kind of opened my eyes to the fact that there is a lot of stuff to happen in Baltimore. I know you do a ton of transactions there, uh, but it seems like the story has been the same for a long time, that it could be better. It should be better. Yeah. So are people like where are people investing right now in Baltimore to make sure that they're not, uh, you know, kind of seeing seeing the the negative side of investing in in that city? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the core markets that that most folks, either local investors or people that are from out of state that want to be, you know, have a good asset that's protected, that cash flows well, um, are, are mainly throughout the main corridors of Baltimore, which uh, essentially is from downtown up to, to Charles Village. Um, you know, areas on the, the northwest and northeast, southwest, um, you know, are certainly troubled markets. And if, if people don't have the expertise in, in working with, um, you know, high crime areas or a mix of voucher tenants versus market tenants or uh, don't have management experience, it can be very difficult. Um, and most of those folks tend to, to learn pretty quickly that they've got to be, you know, pretty hands-on um so neighborhoods like mount vernon um obviously the waterfront neighborhoods are, are also the best in the city there's not a ton of kind of what we focus on which is middle market multifamily deals you know 10 to 150 units it's a lot of single family um and, and larger institutional multifamily assets but um the buildings that we sell in in mount vernon station north charles village um you know, have all done very well and their rents have stayed, um, you know, downtown markets rents have been hit a little bit, but, um, you know, th- there should be some, hopefully some nice expansion there with Harbor Place being redeveloped in the near future. So um, those areas are, they all do very well. You know, you typically see your, your higher price points there, but uh, investors are safe and there's always going to be a stable uh demand for renters because of the hospitals and the colleges um, that are right within the heart of our city. It truly is a well-positioned city with, I mean, the ports and the some of the best healthcare in the world. And yeah. uh, you're right outside of DC and you've got some of the uh, highest paid counties uh, per capita right out, you know, right on the, the perimeter. I mean, it's got a lot going for it. I just think it needs to, uh, Gain yep. some traction. We've done, we've done some deals there in the past, and it was uh, eye-opening. I think is what sure. I would say it. It's tough, and uh, you know, I think that that, like you were saying, finding the right neighborhood, working with somebody who really knows the ins and outs is is almost it, it, you have to. Otherwise, you you can really yep. you know get get in trouble. And a, a lot of folks, you know, come to Baltimore, you know, chasing yield, right? It's a lot of DC, New York, Philly investors that have an existing portfolio that they're maxed out in their home markets. So, um, yeah, you can certainly get a higher cap rate deal in Baltimore versus versus those. Um, your rent growth is not going to be as high as those cities, but it's going to be stable. Um, if you're in a good market, you can typically get very strong tenants. Um, you know, the renter pool is not diminishing by any means. Um, you know, there are some areas of the city that are certainly being hurt from a population decrease, but the core markets have, have seen some steady growth. Um, and ultimately, 
you know, with, with a new governor, or maybe some new changes in Baltimore, we hope that population growth in the city can improve um, and certainly increase. Well, I appreciate your perspective on that, and we wish uh, Governor Moore the best. Hopefully, uh, he has a very successful term. What do you believe we learned uh, switching here back to the pandemic and kind of inflation and uh, and these rising interest rates? What do you think we should have taken away from that, or what have we learned uh, so that we all can avoid potential pitfalls in the future? Um, I guess from an inflation standpoint is you know, it was great that there was essentially free money, but that's, that's, that's probably not going to come around again. So, um, you know, folks that have these, at least from the investor side, it's, you know, kind of having the, the premise and the understanding that rates will never probably be that low again. Um, if they do go that low, then we're going to probably see some trouble in the immediate future, which in the short term we've learned, um, you know, we've, we saw the spike in the interest rates. So understanding that from an investment standpoint and, and you know, as you're tracking rates and as you're tracking transactions, um, you know, understanding how that's gonna impact your future underwriting. Um, you know, from what we saw in the brokerage world and, and what everybody saw was obviously an immediate shakeup in, in March of 2020, um, multifamily, persevered along with kind of the industrial market, probably better than any other commercial asset type. So I think specifically in regards to multifamily properties, it's going to continue to, to be strong. There's some other assets within multifamily that also did well, like single family rental portfolios. Um, we're still seeing that the properties that we're selling with larger units or even on the single family side, um, that allows people to have a little more space, especially since more people still are continuing to work from home. Not many kids that are going to school from online anymore, which is a good thing, but um, those, those assets have, have done pretty well. Um, That's a fascinating point. You know, it, it, a lot of saw, people, you know, the, the, the smaller home, you know, trend was, you know, we, we can, it was big, yeah. yeah, it was big. And then you can make these teeny little units. So you're saying that that didn't play out. What we saw in between, I'd say, June of 2020 to really up to now, since rates have kind of gone up, is we we had um, assets that were kind of townhome style. And you're seeing a lot of people even now develop a lot of these, you know, uh, build to rent large townhomes um, mm -hmm. that in, in certain markets are doing very well. The properties that we sold that were larger, that either had big apartments um, that despite really what their rents were, um, or townhome style, it, it received the most amount of activity from the investor side. People understood that, you know, well, a lot of people aren't, aren't going to the nine to five every day or sending their kid to school. They needed more space. Um, you know, the units that, that had that, like we sold a townhome community in um, Laurel, Maryland in the summer of 2020, and an international buyer bought it. It's a super unique market, but Everyone that looked at it loved the fact that it was a four bed, three bed or four bed, three bath type of unit. Everybody had their own space. Everybody was doing their own thing. So that was certainly unique to see. And then the single family rental uh, portfolio market did very well over the last couple of years. Um, we're starting to see that slow down a little bit, but just so people had enough space. And, and I think that made investors feel comfortable. There was a high demand for people running those types of units. So there was very little vacancy time. Um, but yeah, that was something that was certainly unique to us um, for the properties that we marketed during that time frame. 
Yeah, so that 1960s, 1970s vintage really kind of sticks out as like larger units, to, you know, in my mind, maybe even the 80s. Uh, but developers these days, I mean, shoot, I in my office, I'm looking at a, an architect who's bragging about how efficient he can make the space and how tight it, you know, it can and, get. And that's, I mean, that's something that obviously is is certainly important right now because the cost of construction is so high. So um, is this going to be a continually diverging yeah. issue? It could be, yeah. I mean, from the from from our world in the brokerage world and and the properties we've sold, the ones that had the larger floor plans within the last two years did very well. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the properties that had some smaller studio units, if they weren't in a market that didn't have a lot of that inventory, it, it you know people certainly discounted that quite a bit. Um, but I think because of the you know work from home and go to school at home model was so prevalent. And people were seeing that shift that it, it it got people to one be a little more aggressive in pricing, two the the demand for people that were calling us saying, look, I'm looking for townhome style, I'm looking for things that um, you know may not be in a high rise versus you know I want a garden style asset because they have larger floor plans. It it was we were kind of you know scratching our heads being like what are we not catching on to and then we would target some properties to sell like that and they all did well um so that was certainly unique it's it's still there for sure but i think from the development standpoint um just because the costs are high obviously you want to be as efficient as possible but you're still going to get people attracted into those smaller units it just certainly depends your market i really appreciate that point of view not something i've heard uh recently at it, it, it seems like common sense. People, it, yeah, people actually like to have space. You know, it's like everybody was stuck up in a house for a while. So the more space, the better. And 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 again, that was just kind of a reaction we saw pretty quickly into the the height of the pandemic. Um, so would you rather have an asset with a large balcony, or would you rather see an asset with small balconies or no balcony, and maybe like an internal uh, little office? space that you know i guess it depends are you talking more of kind of a garden style building or a high rise i I, i'll leave it up to you what what would you recommend is like if you're building i think if yeah i mean garden style buildings i think a lot of people like to have their their a little bit of space outside um you know a small deck is is fine if you're in a high rise you certainly can have areas in the building where you have that maybe amenity that that everybody can have access to um but it's also helpful, you know, a lot of those people that would rent those units have it be students or young professionals that have the ability to work at home. You know, it's nice to have that separate office space as well. So I think it really depends. Um, you know, some markets just don't have the exterior space in some of their high rise buildings besides a common area. So and people like to be now even more than ever, since a lot of people were cooped up for a while, is be around people. It, it adds, you know, a nice amenity for people to socialize. Makes sense. It makes sense. Well, over the next, I guess, three, four months, we're going to see a little bit more of a a rate jump is what we're expecting. Second half of 2023, uh, bring this back full circle, you're expecting that transactions will pick up. But do you expect the Fed will hold rates through the rest of 2023? Or do you think that they're going to shift and start to uh, maybe even cut rates as soon as the end of 2023? Uh, conservatively, I, I'd say they'd probably keep them keep them held. Um, I think that's what the market seems to be. Yeah, I, I don't think that you know jumping too soon to to cut rates. I don't think would make a ton of sense. But um, so with that in mind, is there a product type or a financing uh, solution that you're recommending 
uh, or that you're seeing people use uh, to get deals done or or starting to put in place? Are they going to life companies? Um, you know, I think obviously prepay is going to be yeah. the issue is if you lock yourself into this higher rate and then you're, uh, you know, you're kind of stuck into it. And if rates come back down in the next few years, you're going to be you know, really, uh, yeah. Kind of life, ins- life insurance companies have, have been involved in a, in a bunch of our transactions. So that's certainly a, an alternative. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the Freddie and Fannie programs have, have just knocked rates down quite a bit for the month of February. If they continue to do this, I know they left a ton of money on the sidelines last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be something for investors to, to really keep a pulse on, have it be, um, for a refi or um, just an acquisition. So I think those programs for, for the kind of the space that we specialize in make a lot of sense. Um, you know, for the deals that have a heavy value add component, we are seeing, you know, the hard money route and then people, you know, getting super aggressive on the refi to try to get, get that long-term rate lower. Um, so Okay, but they're getting aggressive. How? What are they? What are you, What are they doing? They're meaning going, meaning that they're going to, you know, going. Obviously, with hard money, it's going to be a significantly higher rate. Of course, um, do what they can to to minimize their construction costs, but also raise rents as high as possible to refi the most amount of money that they can pull out of the project at obviously a lower rate than the uh, than the hard money loan. Um, have that be through a Freddie or Fannie program if it fits or a life insurance company or, you know, a local bank. That, that's going to be the opportunity that most people are going to leverage. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if there's, you know, uh, I guess a loan product that makes it a little easier. Um, but, you know, the banks, it's good to be the banks. Uh, you know, the banks yeah. don't have to, uh, you know, you know, I, you know, obviously a lot of people are going to shy away from maybe a variable interest loan mm-hmm. without a cap on it. Uh, but you know, the banks, even if they give you a fixed, uh, let's say they were to give you a variable, excuse me, if they were to give you a variable rate loan today, they're still going to put a floor on it and they're not going to let that just you know, gonna go, go all the way back down. They're, they're still going sure. to, you're still going to have to get out of it. So, um, I don't know, it's certainly something to watch as we, as we move forward, but, um, I would agree. Well, I appreciate you joining us today, giving us some quick insight on Baltimore and on, uh, you know, the multifamily space. Is there anything else that you would recommend uh, we we pay attention to to get an edge for the next 20, you know, or tw- for the rest of 2023? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's continuing to, you know, to track those rates. I, I will say that the activity has certainly picked up this year in regards to, uh, or I guess, in comparison to the last quarter of, of 2022. So there is still a good deal of competition out there we had a just to give you an example we have a, a garden a 96 unit garden asset that our offers date was last week and we saw nine offers three of the, or four of those you know came in with uh, a significant non-refundable deposit upon contract signing so there's there's still competition out there i think um going through the rest of this year you may see a little you know just stress in the market you may see some distressed assets come come up we just sold one um last week which was 30 it's 32 units um but again that got 10 plus offers um so you may see some of the properties that have kind of variable interest rates or properties that had um you know, a high level of delinquency or they were non-recourse and, the, you know, the seller just kind of transitions out, come available, which could be a good opportunity. So the the light and heavy value add opportunities are obviously a good 
place to start if you've got the capacity to do some renovations and add value and then you know refi in a short period of time. So um, continue to track the rates. You know, sellers are open to conversation if they're putting the property on the market. So do not shy away from that. And um, yeah, we're always happy here to to assist and give you our insights, what we're seeing, you know, as the most part of the whole in Maryland and Southern PA for for where we focus. So if somebody has an asset or is looking to buy one, where should they reach out and get in touch with you? Yeah, they can go to our website, which is harborstoneadvisors.com. Um, and all of our contact information is there. All of our current opportunities are there as well. So you can browse and see the different apartment buildings that we're selling throughout Maryland and Southern PA. Um, obviously, if you have an asset in those markets and are, are considering selling or want to know what it's worth, we're happy to provide you an opinion of value and give you our kind of take on what the market could bear for, for getting that asset off your plate. Well, appreciate you joining us and wish you well in the rest of, uh, you know, the rest of this year. I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a, a good, good end uh, regardless of the, you know, the, the headwinds that we're all facing and, uh, We'll catch up with you soon to check on those AI uh, predictions. Yeah, let's let's follow up soon and see how this impacts everything. But no, I appreciate you for having me on. And uh, as always, it's, it's great to talk to you tonight. Thanks. Talk to you soon. All righty. Thank you.